From the healing heart of Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland comes the Dr. Nina Show with a message of hope for people struggling with binge eating. She helps listeners break free from emotional eating by identifying their hidden triggers and provides a path for healing without dieting or focusing on food. Dr. Nina inspires us to enjoy the full spectrum of human experience we all deserve to live. Hi there, welcome to the Dr. Nina Show, Outsmart Emotional Eating. I am your host, Dr. Nina Sabel Rockland. I'm a psychoanalyst specializing in the psychology of eating, and I am here to help you break free from binging, body shame, and diets that don't work. I want you to wake up and think about your day, not your diet. So today, we're going to talk about chronic pain and binge eating. And I have a special guest who I'm going to introduce in just a moment. But first, it's easy to see the relationship between binge eating and emotional pain. Because when life is too much to cope with, eating serves as a way of soothing, numbing, temporarily escaping feelings of sadness, loneliness, anger, anxiety, and all the emotions. And binging can also be a way of converting emotional pain to physical pain as when we eat so much that it hurts. But binging is also a way of dealing with chronic physical pain. Uh, Sometimes food is the only way to feel good, even for a moment. And that is why it's so important to learn how to manage physical pain, which is much easier said than done. And that is why I am so excited to welcome today's guest, Christy Stewart, Nurse Christy Stewart. She is a registered nurse with more than three decades in adult ICU and interventional pain management. She is board certified as a nurse coach and has a certification from Stanford University to teach their Empowered Relief Program. So Christy is here to share her tips on how to relieve chronic pain. Welcome, Christy. Hey, thank you, Dr. Nina. It's an honor to be here. I am so glad you're here. Can we start by having you share how you came to do this work, very specified with with chronic pain? Sure. Um, So I've been a nurse for a long time, as you already stated in the bio there, which was a great job. Thank you. Um, But after doing so much work in interventional pain management, I really love my patients and I always felt so bad that we can only manage their pain and that this is a lifetime sentence and that this is just on and on and on. And, and they do well with that. I mean, they really do pretty well with it for the most part, but I thought maybe there was something better. I was just frustrated with what we were doing and there's the opioid crisis, which we may talk about later on. And that adds a lot of frustration and, and anger and fear for them, of course. And I just thought maybe there's something different. So I went back to school and I tried to work with some of the best, most influential pain management doctors in the country. And I learned a lot about how the brain creates the pain. And that's a whole different ball of wax. When I left nursing school a lot of years ago, we thought our brain was our brain. It is what it is. There's nothing you can do with it. It's not changeable. It is what it is, right? And now we know with the new functional MRIs that you can actually see changes happening in the brain and you can retrain it and reprogram it to do something that fits your values a little bit better. 
brain plasticity, right? Exactly. It's the term for, hey, we can learn new things. Um, so I should also say, you and I are going to talk for a little bit about this. And I'm also going to then open up the phone lines later on uh, for anyone who wants to talk with you. And if you are watching, uh, if you are watching the live stream on Instagram, you can also drop a question or, or comment in the comment box, and we'll we'll get to that too. But since you you brought up the 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 brain, let's also talk about the mind and specifically the mind body connection and the and the mind body syndrome can you share a little bit about what that is and how and its implications for chronic pain yeah sure so the um the international association for the study of pain has a definition of what pain is to help us understand better what pain is. And I think everybody should probably understand more about pain. So the definition has got two parts to it. One is a physical component, which is what we treat in traditional medicine, right? But the other one is an emotional component. And we in traditional medicine don't actually know what to do with that. And in order to do something with it takes a little bit of time. And most doctors have an allocation of about 15 minutes per patient visit. So it goes by really fast. But we know that there's a very strong connection between our mind and our body and what is going on in those two places. And that our mind can actually be generating pain from a mistaken pathway in our brain that is happening and occurring this uh, rinse and repeat cycle. Okay. So what is someone who is suffering, say, chronic migraines or back pain, some kind of chronic condition, what do they do with what do they do with that information to alleviate this this pain, which sure feels physical? Yeah, it absolutely it's physical. And and I think that's maybe some stigma that a lot of people with chronic pain have lived under that umbrella that it, you know, they've been told it's they're just going to have to live with it and there's nothing we can do about it. And it's even some of them have been told it's all in their head. And, and that's kind of mean actually, but it, it, the pain actually does come from your brain and that's a fact. So there's nothing we can do about that thing. And maybe an example of that, that would be um, something people can understand or relate to here is just think of somebody with an amputated limb And you've heard of phantom pain. People are struggling and suffering with pain in that limb, and it's not there. So does that make the pain any less real? It's still real, right? Because the brain is creating it, and probably the brain, they believe that the brain is just remembering um, what happened to that limb before it was removed, and it gets stuck in that pain cycle. So that makes sense. So then the same thing can happen like with our back pain when we have pain in our back it just it it can happen as no injury I mean some people don't even know how it happened I injured mine a couple weeks weekends ago just putting the fitted sheet over the corner of my mattress I mean it can happen over the stupidest things sometimes it is a big accident they actually might need some surgery to repair a fracture or something but if you don't have a structural problem like a fracture, an infection, a a tumor, some cancer, something in there that needs to be treated, then it's quite likely that your pain is being generated in the brain. 
And there's a a pain-fear cycle that goes on in the brain. And maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about like predictive coding, how that happens in the brain. Uh, predictive coding sounds like a, a, a something that needs to be, a, a, like, I have no idea what that is. I, I, I can tell you though that I, and you and I were talking you know, before the show, I can tell you that I've had patients um, who had struggled with migraines or back pain. Mm. And when we talked about uh what was too painful to think about in time, that person stopped having migraines. The person with back pain, that person was going to have exploratory surgery. And I really had this feeling of, no, I think this is, you're shouldering all these burdens and it's it's being expressed through your body. And she ended up not having surgery and not having back pain. So, predictive coding, how how does that fit in? And what so, is it? Yeah, so this um, actually starts in the brain from day one in our brains. We start learning about things in our environment and your brain begins to predict what it expects is going to happen. So um, one of my mentors is Dr. Howard Schubiner and he talks about how his wife always has the same breakfast of apples, yogurt, and granola for breakfast. And one morning she came up in the bedroom early. It was still dark and she fed him a piece of the apple and he got a rotten taste in his mouth and instantly spit it out. Well, that morning she'd had actually peaches in her yogurt instead of the apples and his brain was predicting that crunchy, sweet apple. And instead kind of got that mushy peach. He loves peaches, but the texture was wrong. And his brain was trying to protect him from danger. And he spit that out. Mm. And, you know, these, these are, um, there's, there's another story of a guy on a construction site in England that you, that's on the internet. You can look it up, but he shoots a nail through the toe of his boot and, He's in horrible pain, bouncing around, screaming, going to puke. They take him to the hospital. It takes a lot of pain medication to get him under control enough that they can get that boot off of his foot. And the most astonishing thing about that is when they take the boot off, the nail went right between the toes. So was the pain real or is he making this up? Do you see what I'm saying? That the pain is absolutely real because the brain sees that something bad is happening and it's predicting that this is something we need to stop and get help for. This is what our primitive brain is designed to do is protect us, but that doesn't work in chronic pain. It doesn't work in migraines. This is how we're designed, but we have to override that programming basically in our brain and try to get out of that harm alarm mode because our, we're designed to get away from pain. That's our plan is we must get away. If if the stove's hot and we burn our finger, we want to get away from it really fast. That's our protective mechanism. But unfortunately, over time, we get it stuck in this chronic harm alarm mode. But it's not helpful because we can't actually get away from the pain. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And one way that people get away from pain is binging or turning yeah. to food, comfort food, all of that, right? So so that's why it is so important you know, when it comes to binge eating or emotional eating or any kind of unhappy, unhealthy relationship with food, I say it's not what you're eating that is the problem, it's what's eating at you. And sometimes what that is, is 
pain that you can't control. So it, it also gets not only is it about comfort, but it gets displaced from, hey, I can't control this pain, but I can, you know, feeling out of control with pain becomes feeling out of control with food, which, hey, ostensibly you can control. So that mind-body, mind-brain connection is really is really strong. And, and we have to really take a look at that to create change. So let's how do you, so how, what's the first step that you would say to someone who's saying, Hey, I nurse Christy, I am in so much physical pain from wherever it is. I've tried everything. Um, Hey, maybe I'm just, you know, I can't stop eating ice cream. I'm, I'm just, I just don't know what to do. What, what do you tell them? Yeah, it's just, it's just like what you tell uh, your clients, the same thing. It's not, really the pain that's the problem. It's something going on in the brain, maybe an emotion, a situation, a relationship, something that you're having a hard time facing, usually, not always, that creates this pain. The body is developing pain as a distraction from what seems more painful for you to deal with that's in your brain. Same thing, you know, what is eating at you? What's behind all this? What happened? Did did you start pain when uh, you had a divorce? What, what sometimes people can link an, an event to their pain, the start of their pain, and that almost certainly points to the fact that it's neuroplastic pain. So certainly, the same thing that feeds in with your clients, same with mine, is fear. You know, you get this horrible diagnosis, you have a horrible weight problem or an unhealthy gut or, or whatever the problem is. It's the body's way of saying, hold up. We have something we need to stop and look at and try to figure out what happened here and how we can switch that and reroute that neural pathway. Right. Is that kind of what you do with yours? Absolutely. It's recognizing that whatever's going on with food is a solution to the problem. I think what you're saying, and, and many of my patients do struggle with chronic physical pain. And I, I should just say that we're talking about pain that is not from an organic source, as you were saying earlier. It's not from something no. structural or disease or anything like that. It's more just, it just, happen. And I want to ask you about fibromyalgia and things like that as well. Um, but it, recognizing that it it's an expression, it's a physical expression of what our minds or our brains cannot say. It, it expresses what we can't get in touch with, right? Our bodies express what our mind cannot. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Mm -hmm. the, I think it's a, a a challenge. Um, it, nobody's saying that anybody's crazy here. We're not pointing to the fact that you're crazy. This is a normal thing. And it happens to a lot of people. You're not alone. I mean, there's like, oh, 72 million people in the US suffering with chronic pain. So it's, it is an epidemic. And it is something that probably should be looked at. We've spent a lot of money trying to treat pain. And I think it's like, uh, I think I read recently a $600 billion bill 
for the country to treat pain, which for about every pain sufferer, I think that turns out to be a new watch every year for them or something. So I think it's it's something to look at. And obviously all the treatments that we're spending money on to try to help them with pain aren't really working that well. I mean, some of them get some benefit and they need to do that. But those that don't, they need to think about something else. And I know with people with chronic pain, there's a personality trait that goes with it. I don't know if you see that also with people with disordered eating, but it's, and they're not bad qualities. They're actually some that I personally have. So it's not, it's not a bad thing, but it's, you know, it's the things like you want to do well, you want to please people, you um, have a hard time setting boundaries and you allow people to take advantage of you. You might fire up and get angry easily because you let people take advantage of you. Um, you, you're just, they, um, Dr. Sarno, who started this work back in the seventies, believe it or not, he called them goodists. They, they wanted to be good. And I think most of us want to be good. We're driven. We're hard driven. We want to be successful. We want to get it done. That's often really a personality trait that can then lead to chronic pain as well. Well, we we also live in a society that says, hey, don't feel your feelings. You're strong if you if you can keep your feelings at bay and you're weak if you have them. And so where do these feelings go, which are just reactions to situations? You know, sometimes they get stuffed. Sometimes they get expressed physically. There are so many manifestations. But speaking of, and by the way, I find that people... I see people of all ages, all ethnicities, all genders, backgrounds, whatever. But the one thing that that I would say they have in common is deficit in the ability to self-soothe. Yeah. They don't know how to be with themselves in a comforting, loving way and are often very hard on themselves, which I which kind of goes with that that kind of people pleasing, let me, let me let me help you out at my own expense. Yeah. You know, right? So consciously it's like, no, 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 I'm good. Unconsciously it's, ooh, right? It hurts. And then it becomes a, some kind of physical pain. Yeah. And I, I think that, I, I wonder um, if that inability to self-soothe is something that happened over time. You know, when you are bombarded, you know, I, I think of like Star Wars, Wars and all the stars are flying at you. You know, when these are darts that are creating pain and you are constantly worried and concerned about your pain, what's going to happen next, what procedure you're going to have to do next, how much is it going to cost, how long is it going to take to get into that appointment? I just feel like those are just stars or barbs or darts just flying at them constantly. And in the beginning, I think they can probably stay on top of that. But then I think there's like a threshold where they hit and they can no longer cope with all of this stress coming at them. And, you know, it's that fight or flight system that we've talked about that you just are constantly in battle ready mode. You are just fighting. And when you get in constant battle ready mode, it's really, really hard to become aware that that's where you're at and begin to pump the brakes and move into that self-soothing mode. I think that's a, a challenge for them. I think they, they may have at one time been able to self, I've been there myself, you know, when you just feel like I have so many things coming at me pretty soon, you start to recognize, Oh, oh goodness, I need a break. I need a reset. I need to get away from this for a minute and rethink the situation. And 
I have the luxury of that. But when you're in chronic pain, it doesn't feel like you're ever going to have that luxury of a deep breath. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to say that um, if anyone wants to call in and talk to Christy, uh, the number is 323-203-0815. That's 323-203-0815. Please give us a call here at LA Talk Radio and Christy will talk to you about your situation. If you are on Instagram watching the live stream, feel free to drop a comment. Uh, So I just want to go back to what you said about fear. So someone comes to you, they have chronic pain, it's not from an organic source, and they don't know what to do about it. You mentioned that usually that is about some sort of fear. So what do you say to someone who comes and says, I am in, I'm in, I have phantom or not, it's real pain, right? Right. What do you do next? How, How do you help people help themselves? Yeah, fear's a hard thing to get out of on your own. I mean, I I see patients all the time in our practice that have something serious going on with them. I saw one the other day that's going blind just piece by piece. Mm-hmm. She has a Stargardt syndrome. That that's a lot, right? That that's a lot for anybody. It's slow, it's unavoidable. There's no cure for it. It's a disaster for sure. And so her body is generating pain as a way of diverting her attention from something that is so horrendous that she probably isn't really able to deal with that. And I think um, she probably could do some work and probably has not in the past with somebody who can support her and help her in dealing with, okay, this is my reality now. How will I go forward? Sometimes it's honestly just as simple as education. Maybe just hearing what we're talking about here today, people go, oh, yeah, that's totally me. I get that. I've talked to patients before that say, that's totally me. I I have terrible um, uh, scoliosis in my back. And my son has worse scoliosis. He doesn't have any pain. I have terrible pain. Why? Why is, you know, it, it's, the, it's the meaning, the context you place on those diagnoses, the information around you, um, how horrible you make this thing be will definitely create that pain-fear cycle. It's worry, anxiety, fear. Pain patients often say, this will never end. My body's broken. I'm never going to be whole again. I'm not going to be with my family. I'm not going to be able to have a job. I'm worthless. I can't contribute to my family. Well, where do you think all those emotions are going to go? How is that going to improve your pain? Right Right into your body. Exactly. Yes. So do you see that that's just a rinse and repeat cycle. And when you can discover and catch yourself doing it and, oh, here I go again, thinking that's, that's just a thought. It doesn't mean it's true. And isn't that a fun thing that we can say, this is just a thought. It's not me. It doesn't define me. If I say, if I think in my head, ah, that person's a hot mess. That doesn't mean I'm a bad judgmental person because I didn't say it out loud. It's a thought. And I'm not responsible for these thoughts that pop into my brain. And the same thing goes with pain. You're not responsible for this cycle. You just have to become aware of this cycle. That's about the first thing, the starting point right there. So it sounds like we have a very similar approach because I'm always telling people, hey, be curious, not critical. What is this about? Let's be a detective of your mind and figure out what is this behavior telling you? So if you're in physical pain or if you're binging or focused on food, 
what is that a distraction from or what is it expressing? Sounds like there's a very... Exactly. I love it. That's a a wonderful way to explain it. Now, interestingly, when we were talking about pain, so right now we're talking about individuals being in pain. So what can, you know, they might want to look at it symbolically. What would I be like if my back is hurting, what is, uh, weigh, what's weighing on me? If my head is hurting, what is too painful to think about? Things, things like that. Um, but you also talked about, like, uh, I think you called it social, social contagion of pain. Can you that share interesting? About that? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so we didn't used to have all this back pain in the U.S. and as a older nurse. I remember a time when we, this wasn't really a thing and they actually did a study. I should have looked it up before this, but they did a study in Europe and two countries that are neighboring countries. One of them's Norway, but I can't remember. I think the other one is, uh, I don't remember if it was Estonia or Denmark, somewhere on the other side of the Baltic. They, um, did a study and a lot of people in Norway are having back pain. And finally the government said, no more. You're not going to get paid anymore for back pain. That's not a diagnosis we're going to do anything about. And the study, the researcher went over to this other country that has no back pain to try to figure out why. Well, those people had never even heard of back pain. They didn't know it was even a thing you could do. Um, the same thing happened with East Germany and West Germany. When the wall came down, a lot of West German people had back pain, but no East German people did. When the wall came down, then there started to be a lot more complaining of low back pain. So there can be some social contagion involved in it too. And and certainly we know that there are some people that have had a worker's comp injury or something and they choose not to go back to work and they're fine on the income they get. And we're not talking about those people. That's not in this group. But our body recognizes what's popular, what's common, what would be an acceptable thing for I think like 10 years ago, irritable bowel syndrome was a big deal. Everybody had irritable bowel syndrome and stomach ulcers. You don't hear a lot about stomach ulcers anymore. It's it's our body is creating information that it gathers from around us and will create that problem in our bodies. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. Our bodies are speaking to us. So so if someone is in chronic pain, it's really translating and, and you've ruled out anything organic. It's not anything that's going on that's organic. If you are in some kind of chronic pain that does not have an organic reason, uh, look at the symbolism. That's what you're saying. Like, look, look at yeah. what, is the, what is your body expressing about your internal life yes or conflict or or disavowed feeling yeah yeah so we could actually talk about um how maybe you could tell if you have neuroplastic pain there are some things that might give people that are listening an idea of like oh this could be me christy can i just ask you to define neuroplastic oh yes thank you that's good So this is a fairly new thing. Dr. John Sarno started this back in the late 70s, and it was an idea. It was a hunch. It was a pattern that he was seeing in his um, chronic pain patients over and over again that made him say, I think there's something to this. There is a pattern here. And so he started treating people, but we didn't have any way to prove it scientifically. 
And unfortunately, in medicine, nothing happens until there's lots of scientific studies. And this one might be a tough one to have a scientific study on because you're not going to find any big pharmaceutical company who's going to back it because we're really not talking about medications here. And no doctors will get on board until there's a lot of research on it. So Dr. Sarno didn't have a lot of results getting it going forward. He treated some famous people who were willing to talk about it, um, like... um, Howard Stern, uh, John Stossel of 2020, um, John David, an actor. So anyway, those people sort of helped push it out a little bit and let people know there was help. So people got better just by seeing Dr. Sarno or reading his book. And then all these testimonials came about, but we still had no scientific evidence about this. Well, now we have had an invention called a functional MRI. And that MRI shows us what's going on in the brain while people are having pain. And there was a new study that just came out out of Boulder, Colorado, recently using a big group of people that had had chronic pain. And they had to have an average of um, pain for or on a scale of one to 10 from four to 11 or four to 10. And they had all suffered from chronic pain for an average of 11 years. So these are long term people that have a whole variety of things that they've tried in the past to help them with their pain. And they joined this study. And they were examined in a functional MRI before the study to see what areas of the brain light up. And then they were examined four weeks, one month after the end of the study to see what areas of their brain light up. And in the four weeks time, and they were um, given a pain reprocessing treatment for two times a week for those four weeks, they could see that they had moved the pain centers from the amygdala in the brain to the prefrontal cortex which is the area of our brain that gives us joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and the the happier emotions in our life. So that there's actual now scientific evidence to show this neuroscience. So in the past, Dr. Sarno has called it attention myositis syndrome. So you'll see it TMS. That was his first go at it. Um, It has been called mind-body syndrome. It has been called neuroplastic pain. It goes by a lot of names, and I usually go with neuroplastic pain or mind-body syndrome are the ones that I use, but it's all interchangeable, meaning that there's a connection between what's going on in your mind and what's going on in your brain. Which we, we have this sort of duality, especially for people who struggle with food. It's like it's themselves versus their bodies, and we really have to learn that, you know, our minds and bodies are one and can reflect, one can reflect the other. Yeah. They don't operate independently. Right. But I think traditional medicine has treated them independently in the past. And I think that we'll start to evolve and change things a little bit. And I think that traditional medicine is very chunked up into little specialties. You got to see a neurosurgeon, an orthopedic surgeon. You have to see a pain management specialist. You there's, And they don't really overlap a lot. They, they just refer to each other. Oh, I don't know what to do with that. You go see that guy over there. So I think that maybe we'll get more of a mind body, a more cohesive uh, look at the whole person kind of attitude happening in the future. And there is definitely some movement toward that, you know, as you and I both know. Which really going towards the future is really going towards the past when uh, somatization was discovered actually, you know, by, by Freud and people in that era, the idea that our, that our minds are um, expressing, or that our minds express, no, our bodies express what our minds cannot. Um, but so do you find that once people are able to give expression 
give voice to some of the those those thoughts, those feelings that their pain then dissipates or even goes away. Can you give us some examples? Yeah. Um, let me think of an example. They um, they often do, and hmm, I'm just drawing a blank now on a great story. I'm sure I had a great story to tell you, <laughs> um, but it's it is um, it's a bit of a work to do sometimes. Some people get it right off the bat. Some people are like, oh, I totally see what I'm doing. I totally get what I'm doing wrong. I get how I create this fear. Um, one um, person was told by her therapist she needed to lighten up. <laughs> and she says, let me write that down. You don't need to write that down. That's actually just two words. And you probably do need to write that. Do You do need to lighten up if you need to write that down. You know what I mean? That's like, no, you probably don't. But it's that constant agitation and fear and friction that you're creating. And if we can work on moving toward a more mindful approach to this and it, the, the pain, and I think they can all agree with this. The pain is no longer creating damage in your body. It's not creating anything worse. It will not kill you. Obviously it hasn't yet. It won't. And when you can realize that sometimes that thought alone, that I actually I'm okay. My body has had a problem. I've had some surgery, but obviously that has healed by now. I'm just stuck in this mode and I probably need to stop fearing it and panicking over it and I can move forward. And some of them, once they start to see that. So it's really the belief, Nina, it's, that's really what it is, is the belief that I can be pain-free, that my body is whole, but it's sort of the chicken and the egg story, which comes first, the belief or the getting better. And maybe you kind of have to have a little sampling of each before you can finally move toward getting better. But they can get better, most of them quickly, and some of them take longer. And those that take longer, or I often find, are those that just can't let go of the idea that there's something physical wrong in their body. But that only makes sense, because that's how we're taught our whole lives. That's exactly what we know is when you're a child and you fall off your bike and you scrape your knee, somebody's going to fix that for you. You're going to go to your mom and she's going to put a Band-Aid or uh, we did uh, Bactine when I was a kid. I don't know what they use now. And they're going to fix it for you. Um, if you fracture your arm, you're going to go see a doctor. He's going to put it in a cast. He's going to fix it for you. We've been trained our whole lives that if there's something physical, somebody's going to fix that for us. But we're finding with chronic pain that it's really not physical and the only person that's going to fix it is you because the problem comes from your brain, which is actually good news, really. Now there's hope. Now you have empowerment. Now we've returned all the power back to you. And you can say, this is how I'm going to go about it. And it's probably going to be a different journey for everybody. But I think there is hope. There is possibility. And you will get there. You will get to a recovery if you happen to fall in this group of neuroplastic pain. And that's such an important point because it feels just same with binge eating. There's so many parallels. As you're talking, I'm, I'm nodding, nodding, nodding because, yes, I hear the same thing. I'm always going to have to struggle with binge eating, just like I'm always going to be in pain. Um, I, I have no control over my, you know, over food. I have no control over pain. Um, there are there are so many similarities and just just as so pain is an expression of something internal, just as binging 
is a way of managing something internal. Uh, you cannot you cannot heal until you look at what it what is the true root, you know, what is the true root cause of whether it's pain or what, and also of course pain leads to binging. Um, but I I love that you're offering hope and empowerment that that once people can be curious about well what's going on what is this pain expressing then they can start to do the work of healing yeah and being free yeah yeah i don't love it when um patients get told you know you're only 30 and they tell you that you have osteoarthritis on your mri what are, what are you going to do with that information what how is that going to help you that's going to create more fear right Unless you're really going to make drastic changes to your diet, which most people won't, then that's probably not going to help you. It's just going to create more fear. And then that's going to create a reality in your pain. And they've actually done a study where they've taken people and put them through this functional MRI. And they have found that 80% of 50-year-olds, this is my category, they have uh, degenerative disc disease. That's a very common finding. A lot of people get told that on their MRI. Well, you have degenerative disc disease. The word disease sounds scary. It's a disease. I, I don't want a disease. This is terrible. I don't want this. It's really a common finding. And in 80% of the people that have it, they don't have pain. So if, if you can avoid that fear that the healthcare team tries to give you, and they don't mean to, they're not the villains. This is just what they're trained to do. But if we can stop doing that and calm the mind down and just say, well, Everything looks pretty standard for your age group. I think you're doing fine. You might go talk to somebody about your nutrition or you might really work hard on your sleep. Sleep is a huge factor. You probably find that as well, too. The sleep affects so much of our life that you should definitely make that a priority. If you can't sleep, I can't sleep. Sometimes it happens, but I make it a priority. I work on it all the time in order to try to improve my sleep because that improves my health overall, my energy, my uh, stress level will decrease when I get good sleep. So I think that's one of those things that is a priority. And if we in healthcare work on those tweaks on people, I think we improve their longevity without giving them fear that they have some bad disease going on. Yeah. So you keep going back to fear, right? So let's just say you're a person who's 52 years old. They go and get an MRI for whatever reason, and and they're not feeling any back pain. They they find out they have degenerative disc disease, and suddenly, oh my, I my aching back. What do you say to them? Well, they they may have gone for the MRI because they had the back pain. But what I'm saying is the degenerative disc disease might not actually be the cause of that back pain. You may have just tweaked some muscles in your back and you can do some conservative therapies and you could get better. So oftentimes with like a herniated disc, they want to do a spinal fusion on them. And some people do need a spinal fusion. I'm not saying that you should not do that. Please hear that. But they have discovered that those people that have the fusion surgery, which is a major surgery, and those that choose to treat it conservatively have about the same outcome, except those that have surgery are often subjected to a variety of 
um, complications. And one of the complications with the fusion is that the levels above and below the hardware are going to take a lot of abuse because of that hardware stabilizing this area that's not moving. And they will end up with breakdown at upper levels and lower levels. And then those people go on to have those levels fused as well because they need support there too. So it, it can lead to a thing. So the spinal fusion surgery was a thing for a while. It's kind of gone away. A lot of the neurosurgeons are not really recommending it right off the bat. Um, but some people want it done. They want it done because of the fear. Now, fear is not necessarily the only word. It can be manifested as frustration, anxiety, worry. All of those things happen. And you are so sick and tired of your back pain. I know when you have a bad back and it hurts, you, you just want it to stop, whatever it's going to take to get it to stop. But sometimes surgery isn't your best option because if it's not really a physical problem and it's being manifested from your brain, you can have all the surgeries in the world and you're not going to feel better. I had a patient the other day that has had seven back surgeries since 2020 and not one of them has worked and they've all created more problems for him. And some of those are down to the point where he will have to manage it. I'm not sure we can fix those issues for him, which is dreadful. So I think that's the other problem is it is go get another opinion. If your surgeon wants you to have a major surgery, my best advice is get another surgeon to give you an opinion outside of that hospital's surgery service. Find somebody else that's not related to it and ask for another opinion. It's a big deal. And you should treat it like a big deal. You should do your research. So that's for someone who actually has some structural reason for their back pain. Yes, yes. Um, unlike like my patient some several years ago who was going to have exploratory, exploratory back surgery. And I really thought that it was because she was feeling burdened by by life and that she was experiencing her the burden of life as physical physically being burdened on her back. Like she felt like she would say, I feel like I'm Atlas holding up the world. Well, boy, that'll hurt your back. And as that's we, a good analogy too. When they say, I feel like Atlas holding up the world, there's a good clue. Yeah, there's a good clue. So for yeah. her working through the, 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 the burden and the resentment towards people who were burdening her or the helplessness, all of that alleviated her back pain and she never had surgery and she's never had back pain since, thankfully. Um, but so, so what do you tell people who they don't have an organic reason? They come in and they say, oh, Nurse Christy, I just have such horrible, I mean, choose your, you know, I have such horrible back pain. What do I do? Well, there's actually a lot of things you can do on your own to help your back pain, and you may not actually need help. And the first one is calm down. <laughs> Nobody wants to be told that. But when you hurt your back, it, it's it's instinctual for, I think, every human to go to, oh, my word, here we go. Now I'm going to be like this. I've had an uncle who was like this, and all these things happened to him, and this did, and nothing worked, and he was in pain his whole life, and now I just hurt my back, and that's what's going to happen. So if you can stop that thought process right away and become aware, okay, that's ridiculous. I just hurt my back. Let's try some things first and see if it will help. Maybe you can do some active resting. I know that sounds crazy, but people just keep going, I'll just push through the pain. No, this is not the moment to push through the pain. Let's get some ice on your back, cut down that inflammation, 
maybe you need to go see your doctor if it lasts more than a day or two, or if it's super severe, or you have numbness going down your legs or something like that, you should go see your doctor. But otherwise, you can take over-the-counter anti-inflammatories at home. You can ice it. You can rest it. You can begin gentle movement again. And in the beginning, they used to say people with back pain should take to bed. We no longer say that in healthcare anymore. We want you up and active and moving as soon as possible because motion is the lotion. And if you can get those muscles loosened up, the pain will relieve. So we want them doing those things. So the first thing is don't worry about it. Just create an awareness about it. What just happened here? Is this something else that's, you know, is something being hidden in my body that I need to examine? Can I connect the dots? Can I figure out how this is relating to this thing and this thing? And then like, like just you do with your um, clients as well, I recommend people create a self, a list of self, self soothing activities. The, for people that are in chronic pain, they're going to have flares. It's, it's the way of life. That's how it goes. And you know it's coming. Get yourself prepared for that. Get a list of self-soothing activities that make you feel better. You know if you have to go to work and you have a flare, maybe make a plan that, okay, when I have a flare and I can't go to work, I'm going to call in and ask for another 30 minutes to see if I can get this under control myself. And then if I can't, I will have to call in sick or maybe I can dial in remotely to my work or, what, you know, make a list of what your options are before that happens. Because when your pain is at a 10, you can't even think. There's just no way to think through that on your own. And that's really when you need to access your brain and think through those processes. So that that's another great tip is just come up with a list of things right now. Get yourself a, a self-care kit, something you can do when you're at home, your fuzzy slippers, your favorite hoodie, some bath bombs, take a warm bath, have some yummy tea that you love, uh, put an essential oil in the, you know, just the typical self-soothing kind of things. And then I highly recommend everybody, not just pain people, begin some sort of meditation or mindfulness. Um, when I moved into this health coaching world, I started doing mindfulness and I thought they were crazy. I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. Um, it really does make a difference in soothing our brain. Buddha said that our brain is like a monkey mind. It's just bouncing around and you can't contain it. And he said that 2,600 years before the cell phone was invented. So you can only imagine how crazy our brains are right now. And that if you begin mindfulness and become aware of this present moment and stop fretting about what happened in the past, because sometimes the past is the past and you can rewrite some of that history and figure those things out through the therapy and working with a good coach or a therapist, but also just stay in this moment. Don't worry about oh my word, what's going to happen in a year from now? How bad is this going to be? How how much is it going to cost me? How laid up? If it's this bad now, in a year from now, how much worse is it? If you can avoid that trap, you can often help that back pain and calm it down. And another thing that's super easy and nobody really, well, I shouldn't say nobody. Most of my patients do not do it. Drink a lot of water. Water will help flush out that inflammation and remove it from your body. And that's what you want to do is get rid of it. So if you can drink at least half of your weight in ounces of water a day or more, which is a challenge, that'll also help bring your pain level down too. And I know it sounds so simple and stupid, but honestly, I think most of this treatment, mind-body treatment is ridiculously simple. It's just not easy to do because you have to make a change. Right. 
but you know, everything that you're talking about instead in like, because otherwise you have what if thinking, which catastrophic thinking about the future that causes real time anxiety and real time anxiety just exacerbates whatever pain you're in. So not only are you having physical pain, but you're having fear about always being in pain, which makes your pain worse. So that's such a a good advice to be able to challenge that thinking, just be here, be now, and to, to think of ways to self soothe. So important. Yeah. And I really like the water suggestion, which is so, it, it sounds so simple, but it is, it's so effective. I recently started drinking a quart of water a day. Wow. And at first I was just like, I can't drink a quart of water. And I hate water. <laughs> <laughs> I, for some reason, just hate drinking water. But now I'm drinking a quart of water a day and I, I feel such a difference physically. And I'm, I've always been, like, I mean, since I was the poster child for eating disorders, which I haven't been for a long time, like, you know, active and eat right and all of that. But just making that change of drinking that much water has really made a difference. So these things are simple. They're hard to implement, like you said, but they really can make, <laughs> oh, pouring water now. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> So Carly Dash is saying, I figured out water is my secret medicine and life source. I used to sugar pump, (laughs) um, but now I look for water more. Um, I think it's Lisa who's saying she's pouring water now. Yeah. Yeah. So I really appreciate just the, the, how you've shown today the, the mind body or, you know, the mind body connection and how, uh, we can empower ourselves to challenge some of the the I, the thoughts that lead to more intense pain and then empower ourselves to overcome that pain. Stay in the present. That's what I need to do. Yes. Stay in the present. Uh, that The way I put it is what is, which is the present instead of what if. What if is fear about the future and fear, Christy, you've talked a lot about how damaging fear is when it comes to physical pain and what is, is facts about the present. So this has been super enlightening and I honestly had no idea how uh, psychological pain could be. I mean, I had some idea, but I don't think I even really had an, a, a grasp of how global that is. So thank you so much for bringing that to our attention. So Christy, how can people reach you? So I'm um, actually on Instagram and Facebook under mind to body nurse with the number two. And you can reach me there or send me a message if you have any questions or comments about this. Thank you so much for joining us today. Was very, very helpful and interesting and, uh, and great tips so everyone, be sure to follow Christy on Instagram and uh, and reach out to her because she can help you. And I happen to know, Christy, you didn't say so, but I happen to know she's got some really exciting things coming up in the future, programs to help you. I do. I'm working super hard to get it done because this is kind of new to me too. And I am really leaning into this concept. You know, it doesn't require any paradigm shift in your belief to do it. It just, 
it can't harm you. It's something you can certainly try with no complications, which is also wonderful too. So I think that's, it's a wonderful idea and I'm happy to share my knowledge with people. And thank you, Dr. Nina, so much for having me here today. Thank you so much for being here. And that is our show for today. So uh, thank you all for tuning in. I'm Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland, psychoanalyst, here to help you create a binge-free, happy life. And you can also listen later on Apple Podcasts or anywhere where you get your podcasts. So stay curious, not critical, and take good care of yourself for both your mind and your body and your spirit, and you will feel better in all ways, I promise. Bye for now. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for joining the Dr. Nina Show. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Join Dr. Nina next time for more diet-free strategies on how to outsmart emotional eating so you can stop thinking about food and start living your best and most happy life. Find out more about Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland at drninainc.com. That's D-R-N-I-N-A-I-N-C.com. The Dr. Nina Show is now on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network every Tuesday, 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. From the healing heart of Dr. Nina Sabelle Rockland comes a message of hope for people struggling with binge eating. She helps listeners break free from emotional eating by identifying the hidden triggers to binging and provides a path for healing without dieting or focusing on food. As she puts it, it's not what you're eating that's the real problem. It's what's eating at you. Be sure to tune in for diet-free strategies on how to outsmart emotional eating so you can stop thinking about food and start living your best and most happy life. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life Flow.